blessing. We thank you, Father God, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, and the church said, amen. I was telling, uh, I think my daughter, one of my daughters, I think Jessica, uh, a company that I worked for, uh, had 3% market share when I went to work for them. And trust me on this, it was not because of me. But when I left, they had 32% market share. And I believe with everything in me, because it was the way we were taught, that when you go to work on your job, if you go to work for the right reasons, your company will be blessed because you're there. And it's biblical. It's a biblical belief. But I'm, that's been my prayer over the people of Grace Church. That as they go to work, their companies get blessed. And, and, uh, and you know, if, and if there's a layoff, you're not the one getting laid off. You're the one getting promoted. So, uh, And it's happened. We've seen it happen, even in our own family. Hey, give it up for the worship team. They're gone. But... What a great, what a great worship set. They, they're all humble. They, they, they pre, they'd rather you clap when they're gone anyway. So praise the Lord. Drew, Drew changed his shoes at halftime. Did you notice that? He had a different shoe on. I liked them both. I'm a shoe guy, and uh, I like the one he had on. But praise the Lord. I just sidebar, just talking back and forth with my wife. You don't mind, right? Um, thank you. Uh, I love this message, and I love it because it's, uh, it's freeing. Uh, our whole ministry in our life has been about seeing people get set free, just knowing you got the victory. You get, but, 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 Pastor, you don't know my struggle. I know most struggles. I've, been, I've lived most struggles, trust me on that. But I know freedom, and I know victory. And I know the one thing that the enemy will want to do is remove a person right when they're ready to get their victory. The, right when they're ready to get set free, they want, the enemy wants to take you out, wants to move you on, wants to move you somewhere else. Wants to, so I, I would say this, give God a chance. Just give God a chance. Don't get mad at God. Just know that God is there and he, and he is so in love with you. And we're talking about the before and after. Today we're going to talk about the garden. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, which means the oil press or crushing of the oil. Sometimes when we go through things, it's really for our good. It's not for our bad. We can't explain it. We can't understand it. We don't even we don't know what God's doing, but He's making that Holy Spirit oil anointing in us start to flow through us. Some of the testimonies that we have, we wouldn't want to go back and relive. But because we lived them through, then we're able to help people on the other side. We're able to walk with people, able to talk to them. And so the before and after today is the garden of Gethsemane and then the garden that Jesus was in after. And then we'll go all the way back to the garden of Eden. The big, the big word today is undo. Everybody say undo. Undo. That's, I mean, that's it. It's, this is not rocket science. It's pretty simple. I'm a pretty simple guy. I try to draw it down to a pretty simple message, but it's all about undoing. And there are things in your life, there are things in my life that God has already undone. We just have to accept it. We just have to receive the undoing. Janie, every now and then, will bring me uh, some necklaces that maybe got jumbled up in her closet. I can't look at these are all messed up. And I'll take a moment and or two and we'll just undo the necklaces together. You know, she'll hold part, I'll hold part. We'll see. The hardest part is when all the necklaces are silver and the same type of chain. You know, it's a, different if one's gold and one's silver and one but we'll take time and we'll undo that. You have to have that picture today of Jesus and the Holy Spirit up in heaven undoing some of your past 
undoing some of your failures, undoing some of the people who hurt you in the past, and that maybe you still hold them accountable to some regard, that God is just undoing those things for you. This is the big word today, just undo, just quietly to ask yourself or ask the Lord right now, take five seconds and ask the Lord, Lord, would you undo those things in my past that need to be undone? It's a simple prayer. And if you start that process, then it doesn't become a badge of honor. It becomes a a spirit of humility that says, okay, God is undoing those things. Yeah, I I made some mistakes. God's undoing those. He's already undone them. So we'll we'll see and learn today what Jesus undid, undid, undone in the garden that makes us free today. Let's pray one more time for the, the word today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for truth. We thank you, Lord, for love and life. Thank you, Lord, for laughter. We pray today that you would help us with your word. Uh, Open our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear, our heart to receive. Let the Holy Spirit be in charge, Lord, of this message today. Those watching online, uh, let their things in their life that need to be undone, let them be undone. Father, Lord, let the Holy Spirit minister every person that hears, Lord, this message today. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church said, amen. 14 times in the scriptures, depending on translations, is the word undo. And we'll talk about a couple of them today. But I, I, I see in scripture what uh, Jesus undid what Adam did. And so we'll talk about the garden experiences first, and then we'll kind of move into that. So let's go to Matthew 26 for a moment. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over here and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is the garden experience. This is the same day that Jesus was uh, going to be betrayed by Judas. It was the day of the Last Supper. It was the day that the disciples were fighting. Jesus teaches them that to be a leader, you have to first be a servant, all right? Everybody kind of wants to lead, uh, but the servant is the leader of all. So Jesus takes out a towel, a a water basin. He starts to wipe the feet of uh, his apostles. And, you know, Peter, the bold one, says, we're going to wash my feet, wash my whole body. And then Jesus... Jesus says, no, the feet are good. It's a, it's a simple message that says nobody is too good, all right, for somebody else. Let's wash the feet of those. And so uh, Grace Church is a church for all people. Well, some people aren't accepted in other churches. We want to accept them. Some people aren't uh, ministered in other churches. We want to minister to them. We want to accept people just the way they are, knowing that Jesus Christ will change us all from the inside out. Can you say amen? So Jesus here is in the garden, and he's very very, very sorrowful. He's, he's like to the point of pain. He's, he's sweating as if it were drops of blood. Now let's go to John, the, the 20th chapter, read a couple verses. Having said this, talking about Mary, Mary's asking, where's Jesus? Why is the tomb empty? This is now just three days later. It's Resurrection Sunday. And so the Last Supper morphed from Thursday night, Monday, Thursday, into Good Friday. And then Judas betrayed Jesus 
Jesus, and they took him away. And so now we're just a couple days later, and she's looking at the empty tomb, and she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but he, she did not know that it was Jesus, all right? He's glorified body. The last, um, the last remembrance of Jesus was uh, blood rushing out of his head because of the thorns, blood coming down his side, uh, hands and feet. He was whipped. He was beaten. All these things, that was the last memory. Now he's in this glorified body, and he's radiant. He's, he's beautiful, okay? Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Who, who are you looking? Who, who are you seeking? And it's so cool because Jesus knows who she's seeking after, and yet sometimes we look for something that's not there. We really want Jesus to fill that God-sized hole in our heart, yet we're not sure. We try different things. We try uh, broken relationships, or we try a job change. We try a different location, or we try something different. It must be this. It must be this. It must be this. And Jesus is standing right here. You're saying, no, it's not any of those things. It's actually Jesus. We're looking for all the wrong things in all the wrong places, and Jesus is standing right there. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. Think about that, because he was in the garden, and there's such a great parallel here with him being the gardener, being the, the, the vine, being the fruit, being the, being the branches. In fact, Isaiah said, out of the root of Jesse will grow a, a vine, a branch, and it will produce fruit. You're the fruit of Jesus. You're the fruit. Seeking the garter, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and all of a sudden she recognizes his voice. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni? which means teacher, Mary. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane was crying, was weeping, was sweating, blood dropping from his face. He being all God knew exactly the pain that he was going to go through at the cross. Horrible, torturous death. And then he's in the garden a couple days later and he's walking and he's fresh and he's new. And the parallel here between Jesus in the, in the garden after resurrection, post-cross, versus Jesus in the garden pre-cross is, is amazing. Jesus had to go through this horrible act of, of crucifixion to undo all the way back to what Adam did. And the parallels in, the, in those two gardens are, are immense. So, so uh, Adam, was, had, Adam was sinless. Adam was sinless. Until he sinned, until he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was, he was sinless. Jesus was sinless and remained sinless. So there, there's a parallel there. Adam sinned, so then he was removed from the garden, right? Well, Jesus was removed from the garden of Gethsemane that night uh, by those soldiers who came when Judas, when Judas betrayed him. And then, then Adam, uh, uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, God, let's go to Genesis 3 for a second. We'll, we'll read that so you can have a, 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 a part of it. Then the Lord said, God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away every, to, every way to the guard, the way of the tree of life. So he's now Adam's removed 
from that garden, Jesus removed from, from the garden of Gethsemane. There was cherubims and angels placed at the, at the garden so they couldn't go back in. There's angels placed at the tomb after uh, Jesus' resurrection. The parallels are amazing. Now, we know that uh, Adam was naked. And then all of a sudden, uh, he sins, and so now he understands he's that knowledge of good and evil, so they're hiding from God. Jesus was stripped of his garment. In fact, they cast lots for his clothes, and he was placed a robe, a robe of uh, 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 purple on him that the mockery said that he was going to be a king, although they, they knew, we know now that he is the king of kings and the Lord of all glory, right? The bright morning star and the lily of the valley, the righteous one. And so all these parallels, Abraham or Adam was made from dust of the earth, and then God breathed life into him, and out of, um, out of Adam then came Eve, and then out of Adam and Eve came their family, then out of their family came a society, a neighborhood, a community, out of that society years down the road with Abraham came a nation. The nation was Israel. Out of that nation came a Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus then had to go back into the ground. That's the death and burial, right? And he had to undo what Adam did by sinning. He undid it for you and for me. And by undoing that, then he came back up out of the ground, and that's how we become born again. Nicodemus said, do I, do I come, do I go back into my mother's womb? No, there's a born-again relationship. So breath was breathed into Adam, and then Jesus on John the 14th breathed into, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his apostles, his disciples, and then now he still breathes into us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The parallels of the first Adam and then what Paul calls the second Adam are innumerable. You look at the scriptures and you know that this little point right here where Mary, supposing he was the gardener, paints a big picture for us to understand that, wait a second, he, he's like he is. He's the second Adam. The second Adam was to tend the garden. We're the fruit of that garden. We're the spiritual fruit. So when God undoes something, sometimes we still have that physical manifestation or the physical presence of maybe the hurt or the pain or maybe the, uh, the, the physical attributes of something of a disease or an illness. But we know that God behind the scenes is undoing all those things because he did it at the cross of Calvary, the undoing. It's the undoing that God brings us to that shows us that he's already working in our past. There's three things I'll show you or, or, or help you with today if you'll receive them that helps us in the undoing process. The first one is obedience. When we're obedient to the Lord, we know that there's an, there is an undoing that takes place. So sometimes we try to get ahead of God. Sometimes we, we think we're smarter than God. Sometimes we think that we've heard God, but there's not a witness there. Jesus, the Bible says, was obedient in Philippians 2 and 8. He became obedient even unto death on the cross. He was obedient. So when we're obedient to die to ourselves, then it no longer is our plan, but God's plan. There's, there's an obedient factor there that helps us, okay? The scripture says in 1 John 3 and 8, to this end, the Son of God has been made manifest that he might undo. Everybody say undo. 
undo the works of the devil. Well, all right, that, that makes sense. So Jesus' obedience to the death of the cross undid the works of the devil. Why? So that we could be set free. For us to walk in freedom, we have to receive the work that Jesus did. If we receive the work that Jesus did, then I can walk in spiritual freedom. Physical attributes may still be the same. There's some things that still might need, uh, maybe the ultimate healing may not be until we get to the other side. There's some things that we're always going to work on, but the undoing has already taken place. By his stripes, I've been healed, Peter said. You were already healed. I'm healed in Jesus' name. So there's a healing that takes place. It's all about obedience. Saul, King Saul, when he was the first king of Israel, Samuel was the prophet. So each king had a prophet. Some uh, prophets were really good. All the prophets probably were really good. Some of the kings were really bad. So they would kill the prophet if, it gave, if, it did, uh, if they gave him a bad word. It's like someone like, well, I don't like that preaching. I'm going to go somewhere else. Or if I don't like that, uh, that part of the Bible, I don't, I'm not going to read that. Or I'm not, I don't like that. I'm not, so it's the, it's the prophet was to preach to the king the word of the Lord. Sometimes someone like David, he he was able to prophesy as well, but he had Nathan, all right? So the, the kings had prophets. Sometimes the bad kings would go kill the prophets and then would set up Baal worship, or they would set up different idols to worship, okay? And so Saul had Samuel. Now Samuel, the Bible says, when he walked into town, the elders shook. I know that's why none of you want to sit up front because the anointing's so heavy that you'll just shake. Just joking. <laughs> Are you shaking, brother? Yeah. I, I thought you were a little, looked a little nervous. The elders would shake out of fear that this man was so close to God. What, what is God going to tell him? What is God going to, I mean, God's going God's to bring a word. So Samuel goes to town and talks to King Saul and says, God's got a word for you. What is it? He wants you to go down and he wants you to take out this army. He wants you to take out every, the king, the queen, their families, royalty, kill every person, kill their sheep, kill their oxen, kill their donkeys, kill their cattle, kill every single bit of them. And so Saul says, okay, he loads up his armor, he goes down, and uh, he kills most of them. And so he comes back, and Samuel goes down to visit King Saul and says, Hey, King, did you do what God asked you to do? It wasn't, wasn't Samuel. It was God. Did you do what God asked you to do? Yeah, I did. He said, do you, like word for word, did you do? Yeah, I did it. And so out of the corner of his ear, Samuel says, What is that bleeding of the sheep I hear? He heard, ba ba What is that I hear? He said, Well, I, I, I kept the king, some of the choice women, I kept uh, some of the lambs, some of the sheep, some of the oxen, some of the donkeys, some of the cattle. I kept some of those so that I could sacrifice to God. And Saul's like, or Samuel's like, wait a second, brother. <laughs> you know rebellion is just as witchcraft? This is what he tells him, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Rebellion is the same as witchcraft. Do you know that obedience is better than sacrifice? And then God says to, to Samuel, one of three times in Scripture where God repents, it, I repent that I've ever made Saul king. Wow. Because he wasn't obedient. Because he just couldn't follow Scriptures. Couldn't follow God's word from the prophet. Jane and I have a friend, really good friend named Mark Harrell. 
most humble person I've ever met. Just a peach, absolute peach. She's kind of one of our overseers. If there's anything that happened to me or the church, he would he would step in and help the board. We have four people that would help in that regard, and he's one of them. And he's out of a really good church in Louisiana, Larry Stockstill's church. Larry Stockstill, uh, Larry's father, uh, Ron, Ron, Larry. What, Ron, I think, started the church. Larry took over the church. Now his son has the church. Well, uh, uh, Mark is a great ministry line. He was Larry's first church plant. Uh, Larry had a, uh, a youth pastor at his church, a dynamic church, full of humility, full of love. And uh, Larry had the, uh, had the church, and uh, a guy named Rick Bazette came up to Larry. He was the youth pastor and says, hey, God's told me to plant a church. And it was like, Henry, two minutes passing, Larry's, Larry's walking down the aisle. I heard Rick Bazette tell this. And so, and Rick's like, uh, Larry, I want to, uh, Pastor Larry, I want to plant a church. And, and, uh, and Pastor Larry says, not now. And just kept on walking. Not now. And so Rick Bazette's like, not now as in, not now? <laughs> like, should I set an appointment to meet with you? Not now as in, now is not the time. Not now is like, what's he mean, not now? And so uh, Rick Bazette asked another person on staff, like, what? He said, not now, not now. Like, what does that mean, not now? Not now. Two words, two word answer, not now. Three years later, three years later, Larry comes to Rick Bazette and says, are you still wanting to plant a church? And Rick Bazette, yeah. He said, now's the time. He planted a church in uh, Conway, Arkansas that has nine campuses and over 25,000 people in it. He says, he says, the credit to my ministry being so good is simply following orders and obedience. That's it. Not now. It was like, See, we get ahead of the game. Well, I'm not sure they heard from God. He said, not now. <laughs> Three years he waited, not now. He didn't ask him ever again, not now. And he, and he said, I, I kind of forgot about it. I've, I figured Pastor Larry forgot about it. He forgot about it. Then I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to work for him. I'm just going to do, and then he came to him and said, now's the time. He helped them plant a church. The church is probably three times the size of Pastor Larry's. And what's the point? The point is, listen, sometimes if we're not careful, like Saul, we think we know more than God. We think we're a little smarter than God. Well, but this is my thing. Oh, yeah, great. Praise God. Not now. <laughs> not, now is not the time. And then he says, because he waited through obedience through allowing God just to work on him, to work on what God, maybe God's doing things behind the scene, and we're so anxious to get ahead of God, we become a miserable failure because we didn't wait on God's time. Listen, I was prophesied over at the age of 21, you're going to be a pastor, your ministry is going to be dynamic. Your, wife, your wife's going to lead worship, which she was already a worship leader. That wasn't a prophetic word. She'd been a worship leader for four or five years already at that time, at the age of 19. <laughs> and I get, get prophesied. And so what, what did I do? Not now. It wasn't my time. At 40, 19 years later, God says, now's the time. All right, now's the time. 
If we don't wait on God through obedience, then we get ahead of God through disobedience. And I don't, I'll tell you, one, one, the one thing that we never want to do is walk in disobedience with the Lord. Even if it looks like we're really slow, not now. <laughs> Two words, not now. And yet a church of 25,000 develops out of one person waiting for God's timing through what was his mentor or his shepherd, his, his pastor, not now. Jesus was obedient to the cross and everything he did. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will. And, and Jesus even says this in the King James, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, I recognize all of this takes place. I recognize all these things, but Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be David did it with the Jebusites. Remember, the Jebusites were running the kingdom. In fact, they, they, were, they, they had the ark. They were, they were killing it. Israel's, Israelites were suppressed. And the Je king Jebusite says, listen, the lame, my lame and my blind will kill you. And he's not talking about people with a disability. He's got a lame God here. He's got a blind God here because that's who they're worshiping. And he's saying, my God is better than your God. And and, and he said, I got more army than you. I got more resources than you. And David says, nevertheless, maybe you think highly of your gods. Maybe you think highly of your army. Maybe you think highly of yourself. But nevertheless, we're going to defeat you and we're taking Jerusalem back. You need a nevertheless moment in your life where, yes, they say I have cancer. Yes, they say I have loss. Yes, they say I have a broken relationship. Yes, they say all of these things. But nevertheless, if God be for me, who could be against me? God's on my side. I'm already victorious. Yeah, but pastor, you're not going through what I'm going through at this time. No, you're right, and I probably never will. But nevertheless, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He's for you. He loves you. But why did this happen? I don't know. Nevertheless, he said he would be there for you. If you walk in obedience to him. Key word there. Obedience. Number two is forgiveness. It's amazing what forgiveness or unforgiveness will do. Jesus, when he got on the cross, said seven statements. We've talked about them before. Seven different sayings did Jesus say, but the very first one he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Whew, wow. How freeing is being able to forgive someone? See, when you harbor unforgiveness, it doesn't hurt the person that you need to forgive. It hurts yourself. There becomes a root of bitterness, a root of offense, a root of anger, and it starts to strangle you to where you can't even enjoy a church service or reading God's word. You're always trying to read the word to prove your anger or your revenge. When I was a young believer, I thought the scripture that said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay, Jamie. When I quoted that, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And Jamie said, I think you're reading that wrong. No, I'm, I'm going to repay. I, Think you need to walk in forgiveness. Nope, nope, not, not at all. I'm going to repay that guy. And I would get so vengeful, right, to where I would walk in unforgiveness and the Lord dealt with me. No, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. You forgive. You walk in forgiveness. So Jesus, when he gets on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What? Listen, what is he? He's practicing what he preached. 
In Matthew, the sixth chapter, 9 through 13, we hear the most beautiful prayer there is, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, Our Father, all-inclusive. And then at the very end, verse 14 and 15, which most people leave out completely, Jesus says, and by the way, you need to forgive because if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. But if you can't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Are you telling me that if I harbor unforgiveness, I can't be forgiven? No, Jesus is saying that. Red letter. If you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. That's what Jesus said. And I believe the reason Jesus' first words off the, on the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, is maybe he wouldn't have been resurrected had he not walked in forgiveness. Oh, pastor, that's not true. I don't know. I'm just saying he's practiced what he preached by walking in forgiveness. And whenever we walk in forgiveness, so that this first service, I'll tell it to you, you will have opportunity this week to have to forgive somebody unless you're a recluse and you don't go out into the world. If you deal with people today, you'll have to, you'll have to forgive somebody. In fact, the Bible tells us in Isaiah, we should stop pointing the finger. Sometimes we, we get in the habit of blaming everybody else for our plight in life. We point the finger. And Isaiah 58 says, if you'll stop pointing the finger at people, I can bless you. I'll release blessing into you. And so we start blaming our past. Or we start blaming people in our past. Or we start blaming people from our past. Or we start, this is, this is all wrong, and, and I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't have to do with this. They did this to me, and I shouldn't have to do that. And all of a sudden, we come through, and we walk in such bitterness because we can't forgive. Where if we free Jesus, no, if, we, if we walk in forgiveness, Jesus knows that we walk in freedom. And this freedom is clear. And everybody has something in their past that maybe they've done or somebody's done something to them and they need it undone. And the best way to undo that is that you just walk in forgiveness. Corey Tinboom was a lady who was in a Nazi war camp during the Holocaust. She was Jewish. Her family members were dying. One of her sisters was beaten um, looking around, raped into the point of murder in that war camp by Nazi soldiers. Corey Timboom made it out. When she made it out, she started to preach God's goodness and God's grace. Several years later, she was in Germany and she was preaching at a church service. It was the war was over. Germany was starting to come back. Uh, things were happening. She was preaching on the forgiveness of God, on how these m monsters of men came in to the cell, took her sister out, raped her, abused her, and then murdered her and laughed about it. And she said, I went before the Lord, and God said, I had to forgive them. And so I'm telling you right now, I have forgiven those, those men that did that to my sister. All of a sudden, the man got up in the back, and he started walking forward. Jamie, could you just stand right here for a second? Jamie's my man illustration. And he stood there, and he said, I was one of those guards that raped and murdered your sister. What are you going to do about it? And Corey Timboon got off the platform like I am, and she went up to him and said, I'm going to forgive you like Jesus forgave me. And hugged that man. 
to where when that, you thank you, Jamie, when she was done hugging him, that, that man fell to his knees and received a Jesus that he never knew because he said, if you can forgive me of that, your God must be real. So your forgiveness not only frees you, your forgiveness frees people around you. Your, your people will forgive other people. See, when, when we forgive people, we've freed them up. Jesus tells his disciples, whosoever sins you remit, let go. They'll be let go. Whosoever sins you hang on to, they'll be hung on to. But here's also what he says. Judge not lest you be judged for the measure that you judge. That measure will come back to you. So when we don't forgive someone for their sin, we pick their sin up. We partner with them in their sin. Hear me. Whose sins are you partnering with? Oh, I'm not going to forgive them. I can't forgive them. Yes, you can. If Jesus can forgive them. Here's the other thing. Isaiah 55 and 11, Jesus, the word says, God's word will not return void. It goes out to accomplish that which it sets out to do. If Jesus stood on the cross, hung on the cross 2,000 years ago and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Could he not have been going back in time, forgiving those who were in paradise? Could he have not been present in time, forgiving those who nailed him to the cross? And could he not have been going future in time to April 23rd, 2023, to forgive someone who's at Grace Church or in any church in the world today saying, I forgive you. Will you forgive others? It's a powerful statement because we accept forgiveness pretty easy, don't we? We just have a hard time dishing forgiveness out. Last but not least is number three, and that's praise. Praise is easy. I love to praise God. So we look at obedience. That's kind of difficult. I mean, it's hard to obey God, and we can maybe twist the scriptures a little bit. There's an eisegesis and an exegesis. Exegesis is looking at the word of God and making my life line up to it. There's an eisegesis is me looking at the word of God and making the word of God line up to my life. Well, the way God would have it is that we line up with the word of God. So that's obedience. Forgiveness is the same thing. Jesus says, hey, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. But now there's this praise thing going on, and praise seems so simple. That's why sometimes people call uh, Christianity a simple lifestyle. Well, they're just shallow in mind. I can say shallow in mind, but deep in heart, right? Because God makes it easy for us. It's not like this is rocket science. If we obey God's commands, all right, if we walk in forgiveness and then we learn how to praise God. That's why Janie said earlier, these are weapons of war. When we decide that we're going to praise God and maybe we clap. Everybody clap for just a moment. Just, just clap. You're right now, you're, you're doing weapons of war, right? You're, you're you're being, you're being warful. You're being mindful, right? And then sometimes we jump up and down or we raise our hands. We're, in, we're, we're gain, gaining in battle. It's a battle that we're in. So we're, we're going to praise. Well, out of Zephaniah, the third chapter, starting in verse 14, then God shows us by the power of the Holy Spirit and the prophet Zephaniah through the King James Version here that we're learning what praise is about. And so he says, sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. So we're learning a process here that first I'm going to sing. Now, it doesn't mean... I have to be gifted to sing. It just means I have to sing. 
And if you're around me during worship time, you know that's not my gift. But you also, Janie said, yeah. But you also know I like to sing. And I might clap a little bit off beat and mess up the worship team, but I'm just getting into it. It's like, it's my time. I'm going to worship and praise my God. But then he says, shout. See, we shout at football games. We shout at each other. We shout at different events, but we have a hard time shouting. Can you just shout, praise the Lord for a moment? We need to shout in church. And then he says, rejoice with all your heart. So now it's not coming from my head. It's coming from my heart. Because if it's coming from my heart, it's an all-in experience with God. No, then he goes on to verse 15, and he's setting the platform for us. The Lord has taken away. Listen, I'm singing, I'm shouting, I'm rejoicing, and while I'm doing that, the Lord is undoing judgments against me. He's casting out the enemy, the king of Israel. Even the Lord is in the middle of these. This is why Janie wants to come forward, because if we get together in a communal way, Jesus Christ is just in the middle. If you walk in harmony, he's there. If you walk in discord, he's not. But if you walk in harmony as a church, all of a sudden the church blows up. It's like, dear Jesus, that's amazing. No, it's just the presence of God. And once, once you're in the presence of God, it is the greatest addiction rush there ever was. You, you, you just all of a sudden you feel like, wow, I'm in God's presence. I can get in God's presence just by singing, shouting, rejoicing with all my heart. He's in the middle of the, thou shall not see evil anymore. Verse number 16, in that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not and design, which is a place called best, by the way. Let not thy hands be slack. In other words, I'm going to now worship these, these with these uh, armies in my hand. My hands are warfare. My feet are warfare, my mouth is warfare, my jumping is warfare. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm not going to be slack. Verse 17 says, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee, he is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in love. He will joy over thee with singing everything you do here, God's doing there. So when I sing, he's singing. When I dance, he's dancing. When I shout, he's shouting. Don't miss this. Because we think, oh, I'm just going to be pious. I'm going I'm to love God. I'm just going to love quiet. I'm going to judge a little bit. That's okay. I might gossip a little bit. That's all right. I'm going to be a little sarcastic, a little cynical. And then you want God's presence? Grow up. That's a good word, Jamie. Grow up in a good way. When we dance here all of heaven dance. When we shout here, all of heaven shout. The literal interpretation is when you give God glory and praise, he gets off the throne and he starts dancing over you. That's why all those things are being undone because whatever God wants to do, he can do. But you can also encourage him by singing, by shouting, by rejoicing, by dancing, by jumping. Pastor, what type of church are we? We need to be a church that's alive. We need to be a church that loves God with everything in us. When we get fed, we have to do something with it. It's nutritious to our soul. I will gather them that are sorrowful over the solemn assembly. Tired of being a solemn assembly. <laughs> We need to be a joyful assembly, church. We need to be a praise assembly. Come on. 
who are of thee to whom the reproach of it was a burden? So hear me one more time. Satan has so many people weighed down, they can't engage in church because they're offended, they're hurt, they're past, they're, they're shameful, they're disappointed, they, they have all this garbage, and when they come into church, they don't think anybody likes them, let alone God loves them, and that couldn't be further than the church, uh, the truth. God loves you. He cares for you. Let's go to verse 19, and then he says, Behold, at that time, what, at what time? When they sing, they shout, and they praise. When they do these things, when they sing, they shout, they praise. When they sing, they shout, they praise. When they clap, they dance, they run. When they, when they do all these, at that time, I will undo. Say undo. I will undo all that affect thee. What do you mean? When I walk in obedience and I walk in forgiveness and I dare praise God on a Sunday morning, God is undoing things in my past that even if someone wants to shame me, they can't anymore because God's forgiven me. He's freed me. He's healed me. He's delivered me. He's set me free. Dear Jesus. Come on back, worship team. Well, let's read the rest of it. And I will save her that halts and gathers her that it was driven out. I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. What is he saying? When you dare, when you dare praise God, I mean just dare to praise God. Our God, it's me and you. I don't care about anybody else. I'm on my lawnmower. I'm in my car. I'm in church. Lord, I don't care. I'm just going to praise you, God. I'm going to praise you for the God that you are. I'm going to praise you for the lover of my soul. I'm going to praise you because things aren't going good. I'm going to praise you, God, because I know that you're going to work things out. God, I, I don't understand what just happened, but I'm going to praise you anyways. I'm going to praise you in the nighttime. I'm going to praise you in the daytime. I'm going to praise you in the mountains. I'm going to praise you in the valley. God, I'm, I'm just going to praise you, God. i got to praise you. I can't do anything else. God, I am going to praise you. And if I praise you, God, now I'm going to do warfare, God. I can't, I can't explain. I can't play the drums like folks. Give me a little drum roll. Fulzy. I can't play it. Yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. Go, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Come on. Run it, run it, run it, run it, run it. I, I can't play the drums like that, but I know I can't play the guitar like Drew or the bass like Henry or the keyboard. I can't sing like Jenny, but I know that if I praise God, stand to your feet and praise the Lord. If I praise God, it undoes everything in my past. Why wouldn't I want to be free? Why wouldn't I want to be free? So here's the thing. Here's what we did in the first service. I'm going to give you the same challenge. Maybe there's something in your life. It doesn't have to be sin. It could be someone that sinned against you. It could be somebody that just wronged you completely. Or maybe there's something in your life that you're just shameful of. During this next song, I'm going to encourage any, all of you, Come, just come up here and stand and say, Father, I'm making a, I'm making a stance right now that in my praise, you're going to undo all these things. Maybe you did something to somebody, and the enemy won't let you forget it. Yeah, but you did this years ago. You did that. Lord, would you undo that? Lord, would you just cause that to be gone? It's already covered by the blood, but the enemy works in our mind. Lord, would you give me the freedom? to be able to worship you this morning and praise you, Lord, so that past can be undone. 
Father, as everybody's checking their spirit right now, we pray and we ask in Jesus' name that you would, you would, you would, you would harbor our hearts. And if there's things in our past, even things in our present that need to be undone, Father, we ask you right now to have those fine people at Grace Church to come forward and acknowledge, Lord, I need you to undo this. And by a step of faith, I'm walking on my water right now, and I'm stepping out and saying, Lord, would you undo those things in my life that have hurt me or where I've hurt others? I'm being obedient, walking in forgiveness, but now I'm going to praise you publicly and know that you're going to break those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come? You come on, worship him. Let's do some undoing today in Jesus' name.
situations, we go through things that we don't understand, that, that we just think, God, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And that kind of quiets the lion inside of us, doesn't it? It kind of shuts us down. But God is just telling us, you know what? I'm still God, and I'm going to bring you through. You might be in a hard place today, but if you just say, you know what? I'm going to let my lion out. I'm just going to bring something. It's like, what does it mean? What can it bring a king? say I'm just going to throw my hands up and I'm just going to say here I am I don't have anything to bring I am empty I am broken I am hurt but he looks at us and just says just bring me your heart I know you're hurt I know you're broken and we can just say it here it is this is all I got and then in that as pastor shared today that's when our lion comes out that's when the roar comes out so let's just do that this morning maybe we're says, I'll roar for you. I'll make some noise. I'm going to do some spiritual warfare because in my praise can be your healing. In my worship can bring your healing and your joy can come back and your lion can roar. So let's just do it together. Can we all just say, so I throw up my hands, praise you again. seem like much.
those who are in need of us today. So we do that. We're going to do that all week for those that are hurting, that are broken. We, we worship for them this morning with their hallelujah. I bless them today. I thank you for them. I pray blessings over them that are hurting and broken. That the God of all peace would bring peace that passes all understanding. And in this situation, in this horrific situation, your peace would pass. And we call that forth this morning. In the name above every name, Jesus. Amen. Can you give God some praise in this place today? Praise is our weapon. Amen. God said he's going to undo the affliction of the enemy. And as I was hearing this song and hearing pastor's message this morning, I kind of got a like a visual illustration, like a picture of what I felt like God was trying to do with our praise. He was showing me that in warfare, one of the tactics to defeat the enemy is, is to bring confusion to the enemy. You know, even in battle, they might throw like a, a smoke grenade that's virtually harmless, but it kind of disorients the enemy. You don't know where you're coming from and kind of allows you to, to come in and attack because they're kind of confused. They don't know what's going on. And I kind of saw that as praise this morning is a way to confuse the enemy, to say, I'm not going to focus on my problem. I'm going to focus on the solution that is God, to say, I'm going to put my attention on you, Lord. I'm going to praise you. Even when I'm clapping my hands, when I'm raising my hands, that's a sign of, of praise. And I think the enemy is literally confused, and he's saying, don't you know what the circumstances look like? Don't you know what just happened? How can you come to church on Sunday morning? How can you come forward? How can you praise God in the middle of that situation? when your wife can't get out of bed because she's just stuck and she can't bend over because she can't, when your husband is in the situation that he's in, when your finances are in the situation that they're in, how can you come and how can you lift your hands? How can you praise God knowing everything that you know? How do you come to church and praise the Lord? And it's because we know something that he doesn't. We know that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all we could ever ask or think or imagine. We know that come what may, we are going to stand and declare the faithfulness of God. We are going to always declare that our God is able and that nothing the enemy can do could stop us, that we are on the winning side. That even when it looks like we've lost the battle, even when it looks like it can't get any worse, we're going to show up and we're going to raise our hands and we're going to say, God, I just sing hallelujah. It might not look like much, but I know what some of you are going through in this place today. And to think, wow, what happened? To think what happened eight months ago but I'm going to show up and I'm going to lift up my hands to think what happened last week or 10 days ago, to think, you know what, God, I'm going to show up and I'm going to praise you with my warfare, which is praise and worship. So one more time, why don't we give God a shout of praise in this place and say, God, it's all you, Lord. book is called Resting in His Shadow, Devotions to Close the Day. So make sure you pick up one of these before you go. One per family. Um, 
I'm going to close in prayer and just pray blessing on you. Don't forget to get your women's banquet uh, tickets on your way out. And then uh, the food in the cafe is for those that are coming to the welcome party today. So if you're coming to the welcome party, get down there. We'll give you about 10 minutes or so to get some food and get to know each other. And then I'll be down there. So let's just close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for all that you've done in this place today. Thank you for the hope that has been instilled in our hearts because of Jesus, because you live, we can live. Because you live, we can have hope to face today and to face tomorrow. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. God, that we'd walk out of here walking in forgiveness. Lord, that we'd walk out of here walking in praise and in hope. Lord, encourage to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we ask that you'd let your will be done in each one of our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.